I could take out of my life everything except my experiences at St. Andrew, and I still have a rich, full life. But the last tee shot I hit was more like it, that one in the playoff. Against Biden and Ray. That's right. The best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever, as long as you are still alive, so that's the best thing. I'm very happy. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Talk and Golf History Podcast, the show that brings the past into the present and tries to figure out what it might all mean for the future. My name's Rod Murray and while Masters Fever 2019 suffocates almost everything else in the game, now seemed like a good opportunity to delve into not only why we're so obsessed with golf's four biggest events and the players who battle for them, but also how we as a collective choose to remember and celebrate such events. Our guest today is Bob Zafian of Green Jack auctions, a business that, as the name suggests, specialises in the buying and selling of golf memorabilia. Bob will join us in just a moment alongside co-host Connor Lewis, but before we come to them, I just wanted to send out a quick reminder about our Barn Boogle Dunes golf trip coming up in just under a month from now. We still have the chance to squeeze in a couple more people for what is going to be a brilliant three days of golf and podcast recording. You can get all the details at www.talkinggolf.com under the Golf Course Study Tours tab. I'll also put a link in the show notes to that info. For those who aren't aware, myself and uh, June's golf course co-designer Mike Clayton will be hosting the tour from May 3 to 5. We'll be playing three rounds over the two courses, including the chance to play several holes with Mike himself and take part in a special recording of an episode of State of the Game, which should be a whole lot of fun as well. If you're interested in that sort of thing, get in touch, but don't dally. There's not many places left, nor is there much time. On with today's episode, and let me start by bringing in my co-host, Connor Lewis, who's always enthusiastic, though as a collector who has trouble containing himself, I'm guessing also perhaps a little nervous about chatting with Bob today, in case he accidentally buys something really expensive that he didn't mean to. Connor, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and Facebook, and then tell me, how is your self-control? Yes. Uh, thank you again, Rod. Uh, let's see. On Twitter, you can find me at shistorians. And on Facebook, we have the Society of Golf Historians page. Uh, if you decide to join or ask to join, I quickly accept you, and you're in the gang. I think we're pushing about 1,000 people on the Facebook page. Fantastic. That's yes. encouraging, That's isn't it, Connor? Just, just yeah. the, it that, that yeah. interest in history is actually very exciting. It's the whole point that you started both the Twitter and the Facebook page. So it's nice to see that you found a niche of people who share your passion. Yeah. Yeah, we're pushing about 6,000 people on Twitter, and I think we're right around 800 people on Facebook. So Wonderful. Uh, Facebook came in a little later, and uh, it's, it's, it's been a great avenue to speak with people who have an interest in history and share my weird uh, point of view. Yeah. So that's been great. Uh, and as for my excitement, by the way, <laughs> um, I think Bob has probably bought a car with the commissions of stuff that I bought through Green Jacket. <laughs> that's my guess. It might be a Yugo. 
but there's there's definitely a card. There's a there's a there's a Lewis mobile somewhere. Well, let's ask him. That's let's, right. Let, let's meet Bob Zafia now. As I mentioned briefly in the intro, Bob is the co-founder of Green Jacket Auctions. That name is a little misleading. They've got plenty of Masters-related items, but lots and lots and lots of stuff also that isn't. Golf collecting is its own subculture in the game, and while it's one that I've not yet fallen victim to, it is one that I'm fascinated to hear about. Bob, welcome. Thanks for taking some time. Is Connor fairly typical of the sort of people that you deal with? Yeah, well, first of all, Rod, really glad to be here. Connor, nice uh, speaking with you as well. Um, yeah, I mean, this is such a passion of mine. Um, and, and, you know, we get guys like uh, Connor, we hook them in. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we, we start them out light. And then, yep. you know, they get the fever. And, you know, then they, Evil. Then they, Evil. Then they get the... They get to talk from the wife, and you know they they, they got to put themselves in check. Sure, <laughs> I'm sure that uh, that's not quite how it unfolds. I'm sure it certainly looks like that from time to time. Bob, I was having a little read on the Green Jacket Auctions website just before we come to some of the specifics. You actually came to sort of golf collecting through baseball. That seems a bit odd to those of us from outside of Australia. Are the two sports quite closely linked? I note that. Your business partner said in his little bio that, you know, that if you were a golf collector 20 years ago, you really had to look in baseball catalogs to find the golf bits. Why is there a connection there? Well, I, I, I mean, it's the whole connection of, of sports memorabilia collecting. Um, my start, um, I, like you said, that I, I kind of started in baseball. I actually worked for Roy White, who played for the New York Yankees. Um, when I was in high school, I was like a pseudo celebrity, you know, oh my gosh, you, you know, you know, Roy White and all these guys. And, you know, I, I was never a collector of this, um, you know, any kind of sports memorabilia, but guys like Catfish Hunter and Thurman Munson and, and Reggie Jackson would come into the store and, you know, talk with Roy and I reach back, grab a ball off the, off the shelf and I'd get it signed. And I wasn't a collector. I was just, you know, it was an opportunity and I was accumulating, uh, items and uh, I had you know a really nice collection going, and then the unfortunate incident when Thurman Munson passed away, and I happened to catch something on the news about how a autographed baseball by Thurman Munson was worth like fifteen hundred dollars, and I'm like, well, this mm. is kind of cool, you know, <laughs> sad that this happened, but I didn't realize that something that I got for nothing is now worth money. And that kind of sparked the interest in this. And then I just kind of went full blast. Uh, and I started collecting every sport, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, and not so much golf in the beginning uh, until I found it was much more uh, difficult getting uh, some of these guys in the you know baseball parks. You, you don't have the opportunity, yet the golfers, um, they, they were just very accommodating Um very friendly, very fan friendly. And I just started concentrating on golf and, you know, I haven't looked back. I mean, it's, uh, I absolutely love this. What was your relationship with the game prior to that? Were you a golfer? Did you follow golf? Did you play golf? Was it an occasional thing for you? Well, I, I am probably about 45 years, um, a 45 year beginner. I've been playing. I, I love it. It's, it, you know, my story is no different than, the average average golfer not not someone who tries to um no not an accomplished golfer uh i don't put in the time that that i wish i could but i absolutely love the game um you know i i don't get i'm not getting too much better over the years just because i just don't put the time in but 
absolutely love it. It's, uh, you know, you're out there with nature. Uh, you forget about all your worries until you shank one and <laughs> kind of say, you know what, uh-huh. I could, I could be home cutting the grass, sure. right now, uh, you know, yeah. and you know, I, I might've thrown a couple clubs in my day. Oh, welcome. Um, You're with family, Bob. Bob. So welcome. did Bobby yeah. Jones. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby Jones did too. You're in good company. <laughs> You're fine. Right. But the, but the thing that's really great is that, you know, to my wife, I'm a great golfer. To some of my friends, I'm a great golfer. Uh, you know, I'm a 17 handicap golfer, so I look at it as, uh, you know, I wish I was a seven handicap, but uh, everything's relative. As, as, as people who are smart know, Bob, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And the key to golf is to always play with golfers that have got worse handicaps than you, and that way you always look like the best player in the group, and that's about as much as we can ask. Well, you know something? I actually play better when I play with better golfers. We all do. And I think probably a lot of us do. Yeah. We do. But it's, st- um, it's still emasculating. doesn't help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, well, there's still better. Sorry. Uh, yeah, my, my, two uh, cents, my, two, my two cents is this, is speaking from a single-digit handicap standpoint, the better you are at the game, the less you can enjoy it. Sure. And I mean, it's true. The better yeah. I've oh. gotten, the more critical I am of when I play. And from a, from you know, a, I haven't I haven't been through that yet. No, from a double digit perspective, can I say this, Connor? From all of us, you deserve it. It's your own That's fault, right. and that is exactly what you deserve. That is the game dishing out Fair the enough. punishment that you do deserve. We've gotten off track. I'm going to set Connor loose on you shortly because this is much more his area of expertise than mine. I actually don't have an area of expertise, so it's good that Connor's here with us. I'm intrigued, though. Firstly, Bob, why the name? Because of course, the name Green Jacket automatically suggests. I imagine that over the years you've had people confused who would assume you only sell Masters-related memorabilia, which isn't the case. No, it's not. I mean, we we sell a wide variety of items from uh, autographed items to historic items, programs, uh, 200-year-old golf balls and and golf clubs um, to, I mean, the the whole spectrum. Um, I mean, there's, there's items in there for somebody on a, on a shoestring budget or somebody who just wants to put a couple pieces in the man cave uh, to somebody who wants to, literally outfit a museum i mean we have we have museums that are very good customers of ours Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and why but why the name then bob has that has it okay have you occasionally thought to yourself oh wish we called ourselves something else uh at times yes um you know my my partner ryan carey and i had um we had done some business in the past you know it was very early ages of the internet and pretty much everybody was using eBay in order to communicate and get groups together. And we had done a few transactions and, um, I had the opportunity, um, when, uh, Doug Ford, uh, actually sold his champion's jacket to, uh, a friend of mine and a friend of mine said, Hey, do you have a customer for it? And the first thing I did was, say, hey, maybe I could take advantage of Ryan. I mean, maybe I could sell it <laughs> and, and 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 frankly, the first time I ever met him, uh, you know, I, I got in an airplane and I flew down and we, uh, you know, we had that transaction. And, uh, you know, when we finally got together um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll talk about how we started our business. Uh, I said, you know, that's why not? 
call it that. That was our first real transaction. And, you know, makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. When you hear the story, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, just, uh, just yeah. it kind of pigeonholes you accidentally, I guess, is the problem. I'm sure it's been a source of frustration at times just well, because of that. It, it has at times, but you know what? We, we've uh, we've grown so much over the years uh-huh. that um, uh, in, in, in our little circle, you know, we're a big thing and people know our name. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, yeah. yeah. It's unquestionably golf, isn't it? That's the upside. Is absolutely. You're not selling baseball cards at Green Jail, although no doubt you could. And we'll ask you. Just before I let Connor loose on you, I did read one little story in your bio which I did want to ask you about because I found it fascinating. What was your involvement with John Lennon? Ah, okay. Well, in in my previous life, when I collected all sorts of sports memorabilia, uh, I used to deal with a, a guy who lived not more than ten miles from my house, and we used to buy and sell, you know, baseballs and, and things like that. And he, one day he goes, you know, I got a, a real cool item. My uncle has the album that John Lennon signed for Mark David Chapman before he assassinated him. And I said, get, you know, come on. No, nobody has that. Sure enough, he introduces me to his uncle who uh, lived a few blocks from the Dakota where John Lennon uh, lived at the time. And, and he was coming home from the Madison Square Garden. He had gone to uh, a wrestling match. And on his way home, he had you know, kind of walked by the Dakota just moments after it happened. There was maybe a crowd of about 20 people there at the time. And, uh, you know, he, 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 you know, he heard that you know, John had gotten shot. They had taken him to the hospital. And he's leaning against the wall. Of the uh, of the Dakota there, there's a big stone wall that goes all the way around, and all of a sudden something hits him in the shoulder. Well, it's it's this album, and he didn't think anything of it. Matter of fact, he thought somebody had put it up there, you know, as a start of a, some sort of memorial. He he put the album back up there. Um, five minutes later, thing falls down, hits him in the shoulder again, and he looks at it and he sees the signature, and he's, he didn't think much of it. Kept it in his arms, and probably about an hour and a half later, there were thousands of people there. Mm. And it was late at night. He said, I got to get home. So he gets in a cab, and a woman getting out happened to work for Geraldo Rivera. Um, and Geraldo was a you know a dear friend of John Lennon's. And at the time, uh, a photographer actually had taken a picture of Mark David Chapman with John Lennon. And that was all over the news uh, of, of him signing that album. So she goes, you know what you have there? And he goes, well, it's, yeah, it's an album. You know, she goes, no, that's the album that he signed. You need to either call Geraldo, call the police. You, you, you know, this is a piece of evidence. So he, uh, Geraldo called him. He said, you got to turn this into the police. He did. They had it for a couple of years. And he, you know, hired a lawyer to say, hey, you know, this is my client's property. He got it back. He stuck it under his bed for about 18 years and then wow. you know after my friend said hey i got a guy who could sell that for you it comes out of the woodwork and we got a lot of publicity for it and um you know we put it up for sale and you know i i think you know i try to create you know i, I was trying to sell the sizzle not the steak although the steak was pretty pretty good in itself and i think we were asking like 1.2 million dollars and it ended up selling for over four hundred thousand dollars Wow. But it, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a macabre piece, but probably one of the mm. 
you know, an extremely important music piece. I mean, it changed the face of the earth, you know, with what John stood for um, to have something like this. And and it was crazy because I was getting death threats. I was doing interviews and, you know, German radio and, and Rolling Stone and everything. And when people found out that I had it and I was selling it, they were they were like on me, like I did something wow. wrong, you know. Wow. I was intrigued when I read that in your little buy there, and I'm glad that we got the whole story because it was well well worth it. Connor, you're a collector. Um, leaving aside the nasty things you want to say to Bob, what do you want to ask Bob about? Because you're on the other side, of course, of what Bob does. Bob does all the hard work of finding the items, doesn't he? And then, then he wants you to buy them from a collector's standpoint. What's the relationship like between the two? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I would say that every time Bob's... Uh, Green ag, uh, green jacket auction comes out. Uh, uh, I, I have a little bit of heart palpitation, and then the next thing I do is I check my account. <laughs> and it, it's really no, and, I'm not, and this is not even a joke. I, it's one of those moments where I'll see something, and I, I, I've got a pretty good idea. Bob knows this that I, I've got a pretty good idea what stuff's going to sell for because uh, I mm-hmm. phrase a lot of things, and. and um, I mean, I'll see something, and it's just, it's come at the wrong time. You know, like, <laughs> I want it. I want it bad. But well, it's, like, you know, the wrong time. And I'll, I'll, like, leave Bob, like, a nasty email. Like, man, what is up with well, that? Well, Rod, you're asking the wrong person because, yes, there's certain things he wants. Imagine me, the passion I have for this, the greatest pieces of golf history uh, pass through my hands. Yeah, wow. I want everything. I was going to say. I, I, yeah. I'm just. You let it go. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I, I want everything. I can't bid in my own auctions, and I certainly can't afford a lot of the stuff that we sell. Um, but, it, 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 you know, I, I can't describe the feeling, uh, what it's like to, to hold, you know, a trophy that, that mm. you know, Arnold Palmer got or a medal or a, a, a club that old Tom Morris you know, built with his hands wow. for me to hold it. Yeah. It's just, it's the coolest feeling in the world. And the, the greatest pieces of golf history come across my desk and I get to hold them. And that, the joy is just indescribable. Yeah. And then you've got to pass them on, which I imagine the sadness must be yeah. almost devastating yes, sometimes. I'm, I'm, I'm just the caretaker yeah. for a short period of time. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it, it, every, every collector is different, right? For me, um, the things I keep in my collection, I keep for a reason. Usually they tell a story, right? I, I like stories. So the things I hold long-term tell a story that I want to be told in my golfing office or wherever I have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think Bob might know some people, or, or he's probably in the same position. It's really never having it in your collection is only a fraction of the chase, the chase is everything. Like when mm. I'm looking for something that's not even in Bob's collection, in his auction yet, and, I, and I've got a bead on about five things, and it shows up in his auction, and, and you know, I, I believe I have the funds to carry it. I mean, there's nothing more exciting. That, what is it, Saturday night or Sunday night, the auction ends? And Saturday it, like, night, it doesn't yeah. end. It doesn't end until the bidding stops for how long? Uh, for 15 mid. Period. That, and that's yeah. the crazy thing because 
you know, we do a soft close at eight o'clock in the evening, yes. but then we extend it for anybody who's bid in the auction and it doesn't end till you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. Then the game really gets underway. <laughs> yes. It's, yes. It's gruesome because you know what happens, Rod? Every single time the clock stops, it goes all the way down to like one and then boom. <laughs> It sticks all over again, and I just lose it every time because it's like 1 a.m. I'm like, I want it. I want it. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's going on another 15 minutes. But oh, you, know, you know who oh. loves that? The consigners love that. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. Yes, they do. And I've been on that side of it, too, with you, too. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, I like to add, you know, you know, Connor's passion is, you know, it, it, it tells a story and he likes that kind of stuff. But I, I'm probably speaking for Connor as well. Uh, you know, this this is my personal feeling is I love the stuff in my collection and I love looking at it, but I get so much pleasure out of showing my collection to people. Mm -hmm, and it has sure. nothing to do with what something is worth. Mm -hmm. It's being able to tell the story. It's being able to look at somebody's eyes and and they see, uh, you know, they can see history, something they learn something when you when you tell them about it. And, you know, and, and that's really kind of cool, too, yeah. because, you know, then you become like the de facto expert on something. And, you know, and, and you're really surprised what people react to most. You know, oh, that's I, so I would true, look true. I would look at like a Hugh Philp, you know, long nose club. You know, he's like the Stradivarius of, of club yeah. makers, long nose club makers. And, you know, I can see the beauty of his work and, you know, something could be worth, you know, 20,000. But you know what? Have a. Uh, Jackie Gleason's, you know, uh, golf club sitting in the corner or a golf bag with Mickey Mantle's name on it and people just lose it because yeah. that's what they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. They know who Mickey Mantle is. They don't know who old Tom Morris is. You know, so people get excited about different things. Mm. Well, a, a trophy is just a piece of metal, isn't it? Until oh, no, no, it's award no. until it's awarded for something. No. No. Do you know what I mean? All right, Rod's cut off. He's not allowed to talk anymore. What yeah, the heck was I that guess question? This is this is going to be an education for you, Rod. So, but but it, it's the embodiment of history, Rod. Only embodiment of history. But you didn't hear the second part of what I said, which is until it's been played for and won at something. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so all these items are just items. It's the stories that make them. That's what I'm saying. Otherwise, they're just items, aren't they? Um, I, you know, everybody, when somebody takes possession of a piece, when, when there's a piece out there that you don't own, it's some, it's, it's one thing. As soon as you own it, it becomes mm -hmm. something different. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you try to learn everything about it. You, I mean, every, who made it, who, you know, mm -hmm. what year was this thing? Just everything about it. And you become you know, I don't want to sound weird, but you come intimate with these pieces. Uh, okay, you sound weird. And <laughs> it's like that. No, he is he is so dead on. I'm the odd one out, but you guys are weird. Oh, you, no, know, it's you know, Connor's got this yeah. piece. Connor's got this piece and uh, by uh, a, a, an artist leads. And I, how many people are in that um, that that uh, image that you You're have? About the, there, golfers? the golfers? Yes, the golfers. Uh, boy, I don't know. I've never caught up. Maybe eighty-five, four. ninety people, oh, and and, yeah. and and you could tell. You know, when I was over your house, your point. See that? That's a ginger beer girl, and that's this person, and that's that person, yeah. and you know that's and, yeah. yeah, and and this piece that most people look at and say, well, you know, it's somewhat pleasing. It's kind of weird. It doesn't look like a, a normal golf match, oh. um, but that that piece. 
has a thousand stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, Connor did his work to find out every single thing about that. He knows why this person is here and who's taking the bet and, and all. It's just really kind of cool. Yep. Oh. Yeah, there's always a deeper story to it. And, and I'll tell you, from a collector standpoint, um, and everybody's different, by the way, but my, my whole thing is it's in my collection until it becomes a piece of furniture to me. And I never know when that's going to happen. So, for instance, way back when I had Walter Hagen's 1929 Ryder Cup bag that he won his mm-hmm. last Open Championship, with the last major of his career, and the Irons. Bob sold mm-hmm. the Irons. And one day I walked into my office, and I love Walter Hagen. I mean, I love Walter Hagen. And I walked into my office, and I looked at the bag in the corner of the room, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've got that bag. And then it was at that moment I was like, it's time. So as somebody who has something in their collection, I always say you never own it. Mm-hmm. You are just holding it for the next person, be that a sure. museum or another collector. That's the, that's the only way you can look at it is this isn't mine. It's my job to preserve it and, and enjoy it and hopefully share it with others. And then at some point, someone else needs to enjoy it. That's, Absolutely. That's it's a different outset. No, that's really, it's actually really interesting. I wonder, Bob, are most collectors like Connor, or is there a segment of collectors who are in it for the money? They're looking to buy cheap and sell expensive. Who, who makes up the bulk of those who buy pieces from you, be they inexpensive or highly expensive? Well, I mean, you, you have a broad spectrum. Uh, you have some people, I have one customer whose collection is, I don't know, maybe three million dollars worth he sells nothing wow he just keeps accumulating um you know and he's got some absolutely fantastic pieces and i wish he would sell some of the some of the items uh and then there's other people that will buy something they'll go through the auction and they'll say this looks undervalued this looks undervalued this looks under, and, yeah. and buy it and then flip it and you know when i was collecting all sorts of memorabilia a lot of times I would buy big collections and there might be 200 pieces in the collection. And I like 12 pieces for myself. So I'd sell the other, mm-hmm. uh, 198 or mm-hmm. hundred. Yes. Yeah, so whatever. 182 pieces. And, and I would keep my 12 pieces and I would get my money back just from the other one. So that's how I kind of fed my collection. We all do whatever we got to do to feed what it takes to, to have this collection. Uh, yeah, so some people, I do started. That. some, yeah, some people will buy, um, items just to turn around and flip. I've seen people buy items and, you know, guess the wrong way and end up losing money. But yeah, that's a, that's a passion as much as collecting mm-hmm. stuff. Um, there are some people who just, uh, they like the wheeling and dealing and, you know, um, and others, some people just buy because of the value, which, you know, those people, you know, it's like a rich person going out and buying a Harley Davidson, you know, uh, the, the, the regular, you know, the Harley guys, they don't like somebody who could just plop down the money and buy something. But there are those people. We have some collectors that like bling. You know, you get a master's trophy. Yeah. They want it. Yeah. Why do they want it? They want to show it off to their friends. Yeah. Put on the coffee They want to put this on their desk. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. And mm. and to drop a hundred grand or a couple hundred thousand, you know, I, you know, that's that's a world that I'm unfamiliar with. Mm. Right. Is it risky? Bob, is that risky or is that item likely to hold its value or increase? It's always risky. Um, It's even risky when we do it. I mean, 
you know, Connor will probably vouch for it. When you when you make this decision, um, you have to think in the back of your mind, what's the end game? And the yeah. end game may be, you know, my widow may have to sell it. Or, um, you know, if I move on from it, you know, am I buying it where I can at least get my money back? Um, collecting, I tell people all the time, you should never collect with the anticipation that you're going to make money off of this. Mm-hmm. You should collect Dead it because on. you enjoy it. Dead yeah. on. Yep. And, and if, if you do make money, that's great. Um, but, you know, there's going to be some things you lose money on. And hopefully in the end, you know, things balance out. Um, I have one collector, very, uh, everybody knows him. He's a very important collector, probably, a, a you know, 10,000 or excuse me, $10 million collection. He, he was on one of my episodes of my TV show and his attitude is, you know what? I've had this thing for 10 years. I enjoyed it. I'm moving on. Someone else is going to have it because you know, there's something else I want now. So if yeah. he makes money, loses money, it really doesn't matter to him because he got out of it exactly what he wanted what to get want. out of it. Yeah. And you know, that it's a great attitude to have. Yeah. Um, if, if you do this strictly, uh, because the potential of making money, you're not going to be a happy collector. You may, you may make money or you, you know, you're not going to be a happy collector. Uh, I, I think. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I agree a hundred percent by the way, Bob, I, I think I, I, I wouldn't buy something unless I, the price does not matter. Because the price is really the value I put on it. Um, what I would right. say to it, if you're getting into, if you want to collect something or something like that, the, the most the, the most important thing is do your research, right? I mean, oh, yeah. never, never put it out there until you know what you're getting. Um, there's a lot of you know people out there, including myself, that can help you if you're if you're you know interested in something. Bob obviously would be an amazing resource as well as Ryan. Um, but yeah, the the value you put into it. Uh, into an auction item or what you're purchasing it for is the value that you put on it. So I might say something, I'm look, you know, looking at something and say, you know, I, I would, you literally, the best way to win an auction, let me just say this, without pulling your hair out, because I went through this very early on. When I first started getting into it, I'd get on an auction. This is pre-Green Jacket. This is like eBay. And you get into kind of a bidding war and basically, you have to have that line in the sand. You have to know what your line in the sand is. And mm-hmm. at that line, basically, let, let's say it was $1,000. So $1,000. So the question I was, would always ask myself is, if I lose this for $1,000 and one, $1,001, <laughs> am I going to be upset? And if, I, if the answer is yes, then the next question is, is 1005 going to make me mad? There is 1010 and, and, and whatever that number is that crosses that threshold is my, I call it my happy point. Mm-hmm. Because I went to that threshold, and if it goes over that, God bless you, it's yours. Okay. But, That's the but only then, way to do then, it, that smile. But then you have the remorse that you didn't go to that $1,010. Well, and that's what I was discipl- saying. You, you need to know your line. And discipline is so hard because sometimes you lose focus of why you're there and you're like, I'm going to beat this guy. I'm getting this thing. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, yeah. all of a sudden yeah. you, find, you find out why the hell did I do You know, buyer's remorse is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and on top of that, it's worse when you know who's been, like it's a friend of yours. Like I know oh, yeah. this buddy yeah. of mine is going to run this thing up. And it's like he knows me, I know him, and we're kind of playing chess. It's a weird like side game of, uh, of, of the auction is I know that guy's tendencies, and I, I'm going to just mess with him. And, and Yeah. 
I'm not saying I do this, but I know I know this yeah. happens. And Bob, I, I you know this too. A lot. That there are people, there are people out there that know that Rod will pay almost anything for this piece, and Rod's and bidding I'm on gonna, it, and they and, and they are going to bid you up just to mess with you. Yes, I'm going to make. That's why pass. you never tell people. Never tell them what you're after. You're right. You're right. This is a you know, uh, this is a blood sport that you guys are talking about. This is horrible. <laughs> it's, it actually you know can't something. Uh, Connor touched on something that's really important too. Is do your research. Uh-huh. And I would say, in more instances, you don't make the mistake of overpaying, mm-hmm. or when you sell an item, uh, you know, getting the, it's not doing the research to find what the true value might be. And, and everyone has their story. Everyone has their lesson. With me, it was it was in, in my baseball days and buying collections. And I happened to get a hold of this huge collection of signed exhibit cards from like 1927, 28, uh, all baseball players. There were two Babe Ruths. There were three Ty Cobbs. There was Walter Johnson's. There were... It was probably one of the most important finds that went undiscovered uh, until it was discovered. Um, It it, it came from an old gentleman who used to work at um, Ebbets Field, and he used to get all these things signed. And so when it came across my hands, I I bought all this stuff, and I was sorting it out. And because I didn't didn't know some of these guys from 1927, 28, so to me they were just names – and I didn't do my research, and there was one particular uh, this ball player. His name was Urban Shocker, and it was a signed exhibit card. And I put him in the pile of commons, which I sold to a dealer for I want to say forty dollars a piece. And um, he ended up selling it to someone for six hundred dollars. That person, the last time I saw it for sale, which was probably fifteen years ago. It was over six thousand dollars. Ouch! And I, I, you know, very early on, you know, almost immediately after I sold it, I found out. Well, Urban Shocker was a pitcher of the nineteen twenty seven Yankees. He died in nineteen twenty eight. The nineteen twenty seven Yankees are probably the most important baseball team of all time, and people who need Urban Shocker don't have Urban Shocker, and to have him sign a nineteen twenty seven card is unheard of mm. and you know with because i didn't do the research it cost me cost you. it wasn't something i overpaid for but it's something i kind of like i could have made a lot of money on there's got to be a hundred bucks so, just in the name there doesn't there bob urban shocker that's a magnificent <laughs> well, you know, title. It, it, it was a shocker for me when i yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right but that's 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 where i learned my lesson uh-huh. that when you don't know something you know, now thank God we have the internet and, and a lot of ways to look up research. Um, that that was where I learned my lesson that I before I go and sell anything that I'm not 100 percent sure what it is. I'm going to do the research. Yeah. Have you learned that lesson, Connor? Do you have? A, does every collector have a an urban shocker story? Yeah, I don't know if I've ever purchased anything without doing my research. I've always been really thorough on it. I normally know as much about it as anybody by the time I pull the trigger, mm-hmm. but I also have a very specific um, target. I'll tell you one. No, I'll give you one. Okay, I did think of one. And it, it, the only, and I, and Bob might know this story. This was, and I, gosh, I think, Bob, I think it was in your auction not that long ago, which hurts even more. It was a, <laughs> set, a personal set of uh, Ben Hogan's irons. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Sure. I think I don't know if they were fifty threes, but they were. If, yeah, yes. it was fifty. It was fifty three, and they didn't include the one iron. It didn't have the one iron because I remember right. that set was in Omaha, Nebraska, in Randy Jensen's shop. Randy Jensen really? was like one of the, the great modern hickory players, still alive. Great modern hickory players of all time. And I was at a shop, and I hit them into the net. And at the time, now I'm like really into like pre 1900. I have some stuff from the 1920s. But here I am, I'm looking at it, and I believe that someone said that they'd sell them to me for eight thousand dollars. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, wow, man. I was like, I'd love to do that. And I was like, I could trade a couple things. I could have that money in like two days. And, and I didn't because I was like, well, it doesn't fit into my collection. So I'm going to pass. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I think it should went I, six should figures. I tell Did it go six figures? No, it yeah, what it go figures, for. But it went for, um, I believe, around 57000 Yeah. That was a miss. Could have done some collecting with that. <laughs> Connor, you could have bought and, some and nice stuff. Uh, let me let me tell you something about those irons that's really cool. Obviously, 1953, Hogan wins three out of the four majors. Didn't actually participate in the, uh, PGA, the PGA yeah. because it, it ran basically concurrent to the British Open. Couldn't be in two places at one time. I think it was about a week later. So we get these irons, and I'm trying to do research on it. So uh, we maintain a great relationship with the USGA. I live maybe about 25 minutes away. So they have a set of 53 irons on display. Uh, they actually have a Ben Hogan room. So I take my clubs there. Um, they let me manhandle their things, which I, I'm so appreciative of. Uh, you know, they, they understand the research that I do with this. So I pull out their irons, and the nine iron in the set that I have, the serial number matches – the set oh, that no. they have. Oh wow! And and Hogan was known for you know he'll he'll tinker he'll mi- mix and match you know match and mix sets and all this kind of stuff. So to see that kind of reaffirmed that I knew I was looking at you know the real deal here. Um, and it, it was kind of cool to you know to, to get that connection. And I think you know we we put all that in the description, and that obviously helps sell the the item because our objective is to do the best we can for the consigners and sometimes we get items that the the consigner doesn't know anything about so we have to put a lot of research we don't just put a picture slap it on the website and you know hope to get what we do we do um we do a lot of work and and ryan does a lot of that work as well um you know and, and when we find something like this it's like wow we just found a smoking gun and we just took something that might be worth Twenty thousand and made it worth forty thousand or whatever, just yeah. because of what we found out. And is it the money that makes that satisfying, Bob, or is it the having hunted down the information and added to the story and made it better? Well, it, it's always cool when you can uh, tie up loose ends, or uh, you know, my whole thing. I'm a, you know, I've always had a lot of irons in a fire ever since I was, I don't know, five years old. I, I, I like taking nothing and turning it into something and you know i i kind of look at it this way i mean ryan and i started this business on a shoestring on no cost nobody knowing who we were mm-hmm. nobody so you know our first auction was i think 86 items that belong to us how am i going to get somebody consigned when they don't even know who i am yeah. so you know so from where we were at that first auction which i think we did maybe forty two thousand dollars to last I'm year. looking at 
I'm looking at auction item one was a 1936 Masters member badge. I'm looking at it right now. That was yep. from the first auction. That was, that was it, number it, one. And there's a great story that uh, maybe we'll get into later about how I acquired that that uh, stuff. But it was, you know, just our stuff. So we went from that very first auction, which I think, again, was like maybe $30,000, to last year, which was our best year ever. We do three auctions a year, and we did like $3,075,000. Wow. So it's healthy. Yeah. It's a yeah. healthy market out yeah. there. And, of course, along the way, Bob, I guess the other satisfying thing is you've become known as the go-to people for appraisals or, or among the go-to people. So you've gone from being nobodies that nobody knew to actually respected voices in the business that you've chosen. There must be some satisfaction with that too, I assume. There's actually there's a lot of satisfaction over that because, I, I, you know, in even jobs that I've had, I've uh, the money the money was always important. But you know what? I'm kind of one of those guys, maybe, maybe uh, insecure. I like the pats on the back. I like the attaboys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to know where we where we started to where we are Mm. now and how, you know, it's weird because I, you know, I put a lot of this on luck on it. You know, God's blessed me and all this other kind of stuff, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. (laughs) He's not. No, he's not. Ryan will agree. (laughs) And, and, you know, I've kind of become like the de facto expert. Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, something I've, it was, it was a, you know, learn on the job experience kind of thing. I mean, I've been, we've been doing these auctions now for 13 years and, you know, the knowledge that I've gained and a lot of it is from guys like Connor and other collectors that, you know, you just absorb so much because this is what I do now. Mm -hmm. I I don't have to, you know, I don't have to reports to do for my boss or I don't have all this is what I do. Yeah. You know, I don't get yelled at for watching golf on TV for right. my wife because this is homework. Yeah, lovely. This is, <laughs> this is, this is what I do. Yeah. Um, so, but wait, so just, go, ahead, go ahead, Bob. I was you just going to so, say, Bob is an amazing resource. Uh, I'll just get, let me just jump in real quick. I was saying, um, I, when was this? This was about, about, about a month ago, Bob, I think, right? Somebody came to me and um, we won't, I won't talk about the item because it might end up in one of your auctions here, but, um, somebody came to me and said, Hey, I've got, you know, this, let's say a club and, uh, wondering what the value was. It was owned by, you know, Walter Hagen, let's just say. And so I say, okay, well, you know, I think it's worth between X and Y, but if you'd like, I'd make some phone calls and I call up Bob and I'm saying, Bob, here's what they have. I got this club from X and Y. Here's the provenance on it. I think it's between X and Y would love to get your thought. Just give me a low end, high end of what you might see in the auction. And I mean, it's fantastic. Bob's amazing about that too. Mm. True resource. Yeah, and, and and so yes, I there is a lot of satisfaction out of that. Um, to the point, you know, that you know we had IMG, a big you know huge company, come to us and they want to do a TV show, you know, and, it, and it's like it's very surreal. Um, but it, it it's it it was a lot of hard work. It was a rough road. I mm. mean. Those first years, we didn't make a lot of money. We didn't make much money at all. Um, you know, the tides turned, you know, after uh, you know, certain auctions and certain items that we had that we got tremendous amount of publicity. And, you know, I, you know, I get calls from Golf Digest, Golf Magazine. Uh, I, I'm a, a shameless self-promoter, I will tell you that. <laughs> and, and I've done things such as, you know, I, I got a call from a, a – if you've ever heard of the Rob Report, 
it's a it's a magazine yeah. for like Uber rich. I mean, they don't have million dollar yachts. They have a hundred million dollar yachts. I mean, this is like so they wanted me to place an ad in their magazine, which was like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a full page. Well, wow. before that phone conversation was over, I convinced them to do a story about my company because I have stuff that they're customers their subscribers would want so they ended up doing a two uh, two page story about my company and some of the items that we had so i turned something that i would have had to pay money for which i certainly didn't have to pay that to pretty much getting you know a few hundred thousand dollars worth of free, free advertising Fantastic. absolutely Fantastic. and and i i'm not ashamed to do that uh you know i i we maintain unbelievable relationships with a lot of golf writers um and when i want to put a tease out there if i'm going to get something that's going to be newsworthy there's a couple people i can call and say hey guess what i'm getting Mm -hmm. and then boom all of a sudden you know in this day and age of of social media and everything else when one you when somebody writes a story all of a sudden everybody picks it up to the point where you know i think about two years ago there's a uh, a page, uh, uh, a story on the front page of the Wall Street Journal about our company and you know some of the items that we sold. Fantastic! That's kind of cool. Yeah, that is kind of. It cool. is very cool. That is kind of cool. Which begs a couple of questions, and I know Connor, this is one that you wanted to ask. But there's two topics in particular I think that I'm sort of interested in, and they are for the the would be collectors out there, best ways to start and those sorts of things. But I think most of us are probably also interested, Bob, in in where you come across the stuff. That's clearly the key to the business and if you if, if you can't find the items and i know a lot of them come to you these days but that's not how things start is they is it and and connor talked about the chase and i imagine it's somewhat the same for you where do you find the stuff um well you know now again being blessed at the position that we're at now it's almost like you just got to stick the key in the door in the morning and you know people are going to come to you and the phone's going to ring because we've been doing this for quite some time but it wasn't always that easy. Um, you know, it depends on what you collect. Um, you know, if you're into autographs and, and things like that, you, you can do that on your own. You can go to these golf tournaments. You can get this signed. You can bring your own flags. You, you can, you know, bring golf balls and photographs and get that signed because there there is that contingent of collectors that that's what they collect. They collect autographed uh, photos and everything, and they like to decorate their man caves. Uh, certain things are impossible to find. Uh, for instance, if you're a lover of the history of some of the equipment, you know uh, you're ne- you're not going to find a feathery in the United States. They, you know, they were past that when yeah. when golf came to the United States. You're not going to yeah. find long noses. You'll find a few long noses that were made uh, by early uh, pros at like Shinnecock Hills and things like that. But that stuff was all born, you know, over in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're, we're a baby of a country, you know, 275 years old or whatever we are uh, compared to, you know, golf is, what, 600 and some years old. Um, so it's not easy. You're not going to go in your attic and find an old Tom Morris long nose putter that all of a sudden nobody knew was there unless that person was a collector. It's just not going to happen. Um, but, you know, this, this, the stuff... You know, it, it's still out there. Um, stuff is being discovered all the time. Um, so, you know, the only place to, I mean, you got to go to auction houses to get a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, there's some people who sell it online. And, you know, there's a, 
it's a it's a small network but a very tight network. You know, Connor and I know the same people. Um, yeah. As soon as something comes up, it's it you know it's it's sometimes it's tough for me uh, being in the business. I want something, but if I'm if I'm hearing about it, there's a good chance that a dozen other people are are hearing about it, and they're the end user, and they. You know they're going to offer money to to buy it because they don't want it to go to auction where they're going to have to to bid against it. So um, it, it, it's it has become somewhat tougher because a lot of these people who hold this stuff know all the collectors and they'll mm. trade between themselves, which is good for the collector. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a lot a great of that. Thing. Yeah, yeah, you do. definitely a lot of that. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask you, Bob, before I turn you over to Connor, sadly, and I apologise in advance for for what I'm, <laughs> for what I'm about to do. What is your own collection like? Um, well, you know, I have a collection that is, uh, it's evolved. It's, it's always changing. Um, in the beginning, um, I don't know if Connor experienced this, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you collect. I think a lot of collectors do this. All of a sudden you, you know what? I'm going to, I love golf ball. I'm going to collect golf balls. I'm going to collect clubs. I'm going to collect uh, autograph photos. I'm going to collect flags, and, and you're all over the place. You're just all over the place, and you're buying yeah. every little yeah. twenty-five dollar item because boom, I, I just got to have it. I just got to have it. And then you 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 look at your collection, and you might get your wife say, you know, you got to start moving some of this stuff. Uh, you, you're taking up three rooms in the house, so you know you kind of concentrate on, you know, a few particular areas. Um, my big thing in the beginning was autographs and, and flags. I used to collect a lot of course use flags from famous courses around the world, uh, mostly from the co- this country because they were easy to get. Um, and and I, I really despised uh, long nose clubs. Um, I, you know, I just didn't see anything about it. Wow. Uh, now, How dare you? I, I, <laughs> How dare well, you? Well, you don't even like that stuff. You're you're kind. Of, you're, I you're do. Like, I'm I'm uh, literally surrounded by it, Bob. Literally surrounded so, by it. So, and I would say probably five or six years ago, this passion. All of a sudden, I look at you know a, a Tom Morris, you know, long nose or a Hugh Philp, which I you know I own several of all these, and I look at it as this beautiful piece of art. I mean, it's craftsmanship. It's, you know, when you realize that, you know, a, a Jack Nicholas signed flag is cool and it's great and everybody loves it, you know, he, he could be sitting at his desk right now tonight and, and sign a thousand of those things. Yep. Yeah. They're not making any more, you know, long nose clubs. You're not going to be able to buy an iron that, uh, you know, Willie Park used. You just, yeah. that stuff is, you want to say disappearing, um, but even though more stuff is coming out of the woodwork, but, that's the history, and that I, I've, I, I guess because I've be, I've gained a much deeper appreciation for the history, that I appreciate that stuff more, mm. uh, and and that's kind of my passion now. Although I do have a lot of stuff over a lot of different areas, I kind of like I love like cool pieces, and you know, uh, that's that's kind of what I think. Uh, you know, the long noses and. At two hundred year old golf balls, I have feathery golf balls. I have yeah. odd pattern golf balls. I got wow. some some really cool. I, I think that my pride and joy at this point in my collection would have to be I have an original um, mezzotint of the, the Blackheath golfers. Oh, and very cool. There, that. there was there was supposedly fifty of those made, um, 
and then the original painting uh, burned in a fire. And of those 50, there's only about 12 to 15 known to exist. And the one that I have used to belong to Mort Ullman, who Connor knows. Oh, I mean, it's a yeah. you know very fake. I mean, Legend. pioneer. Pi- you know, before I was yeah. born, this guy was a dealer. You know, uh, so yeah. that's kind of my pride and joy. It's a print from 1790, the oh, oldest wow. golf print in existence. Yeah, I mean that's that's cool. And, real history, isn't it? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. to have something that there are so few in the world. That you know, that kind of gives me a little bit more pleasure out of it as well. It sounds to me, Bob, that if the if the house ever starts burning down, you know exactly what you're going to grab uh, and leave. Know, you a know, whole bunch of it'll stay, but to, you know what you'll get. You're not supposed to mention that. You're not supposed to say anything. Like <laughs> no, that's sorry, horrible. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to sleep. Rob, seriously. Shh. <laughs> okay, time for me to step out, Connor. I wanted. I know you wanted to talk to Bob. And for all those people out there who are listening who are thinking they might be interested, you've obviously been on the journey as as, but I'd like to hear the two of you talk about where you'd start and what you'd do. So so give us a bit of a thumbnail sketch and the, the two of you sort of fill the rest of us in and who might be interested in starting collecting, how we might go about that and some tips and hints. Yeah, I thought, I thought we'd take um, a two-tiered approach. So let's start, with, let's start with the new collector, Bob. So um, I, I think it's important people know, you know, Green Jacket Auctions, by the way, their auction's going on right now. Uh, it's www.greenjacketauctions.com, so check it out as soon as you can, hopefully. Uh, this will air on Friday, so that'll give you a full day to check things out. But I, I think the way we talk about it, because the exciting things that I get really going on and Bob gets going, I'm sure Rod, are the really high-end things. You know, the, the Ben Hogan irons, the, the Tiger Wood irons, the, the trophies. But Bob, I thought maybe we'd start with, uh, if we were to put on the hat of a guy who's looking to start a collection and he's like, where do I start? Let's just start masters. Cause it's masters week. He's got, let's say 500 to a thousand dollars. Um, he's going to your auction. It's important to know that there are stuff that anybody can afford. I mean, there'll be stuff going for tens of dollars, not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So give, get help give those folks a little idea of how they might start a collection on a budget. Well, you know, and, and we do have collectors like that. Um, and they will get, you know, it, it starts out with say a guy who goes to the masters and buys a couple souvenir flags. Uh, they buy, uh, bag tags, they buy pins, they buy, you know, anything they, they love masters. They'll buy a dozen golf balls with the master's logo on it uh it, it doesn't That's like you said supposed- it doesn't have to be yeah i yeah i mean it gets to the point where uh i remember once being there and you know some kid was running around and he was picking all the beer cups out of the garbage because they got the augusta national <laughs> yes. master's logo yes, on it. they do yeah and, and you know and and there's nothing wrong with that because you you have to start somewhere you know not everybody's going out and spending you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on their on their collection, and you know, you, you can do it relatively inexpensively. If if you're an autograph collector, I mean, it's it's a prime uh, place to start. You go you go to say the Masters, or you buy yourself some flags. You know, in in a day's tournament, you can probably walk away with thirty, forty, fifty autographs on that flag. Or on fifty different, you know, golf balls or whatever. Golfers are unbelievably um, 
you know, they're fan friendly and they're very approachable, uh, approachable and they love signing for the fans. So as far as autographs, that's very easy. And again, the souvenir stuff, the, the, the bag tags and the flags, um, there are, I can't tell you how many times, cause that, that's kind of like, I used to be one of those guys, you know, running around the course, chasing these guys down for autographs. And you could literally stand at the 18th hole and, uh, you know, I've done it. I don't want to admit I used to do it, but I see it all the time. You know, kids kids will go, uh, you know, Billy Andrade or VJ Singh or somebody walking off the 18th. Can I have your glove? Can I have your golfer just peel yeah. off their glove, autograph it, and give it to the kid? Now, yeah. you know, if you're a 10, 12, 15-year-old kid, what is cooler than having, you know, VJ Singh or, or a Masters champion sign their glove and give it to you? That's like... That's really, really cool. And sometimes that's what, what spurs on the collecting, the collecting bug in somebody, that very first piece. And everybody has their story of their very first piece. And, you know, you can stay there. You can just, you know, try to collect, you know, sign gloves or, or that kind of stuff. Uh, if, you like, if you like visual objects, if you like parts of the, you know, uh, pieces of history of the game, there are so many golf balls. Some people collect golf balls with just logos of gas stations or colleges or yeah. any kind of logo. Yeah. There are, you know, they're not extremely valuable, but like there are eclectic people. logos, right? Exactly. I mean, I remember once um, I, I bought it on eBay and turned around and sold it. Uh, I bought a dozen golf balls with the Enron logo on it. And I, I paid <laughs> oh. like uh, oh. listen to this. Wow! I paid smart call. I paid like I paid like twenty five dollars for a dozen balls. And I think when I sold them, I was selling them for like a hundred dollars a piece. Yeah. Now they're, they're probably worth yeah. $3 a piece now, but you know, yeah. it, oh, it, awesome. it, there are some people who have thousands of golf balls with different logos and that's, that's their thing. Um, you know, but if you want, you know, back in the twenties, there was a lot of mesh pattern balls. There was a lot of balls with different patterns on, and you can get one, get ones that are, you know, in, in, in say, you know, five out of 10 condition, you can pick those up for 20 bucks. Yeah. You know, Pretty cheap, and right. Yeah. yeah. Very, very cheap. And you know, you could amass a really nice collection of different golf balls that were part of the game. Um, you know, uh, so th- there's so many different ways that you could get in very inexpensively. Uh, obviously, um, you start spending some money, you can get some historic pieces, pieces that were used by players or, you know, it's just very important pieces. Yeah, I always tell people, I, and I think you, you hit on this uh, big time, is I think a lot of people, when they get into it, it's a shotgun approach, right? It's, yeah. as you mentioned, this is like, I need that, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that. And all of a sudden, you have just, you know, I, again, this is me. I, I've got, it's got to be a little bit focused one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I can go off into like three different ways, but other than that, there's a very focused I think that's the best way I'd recommend people is like really think about I, I would always think about if I was getting telling somebody who is interested in it, what do you what really drives you like what would really excite you? And, and I mean, within your budget, because obviously I want a claret jug on my desk, Bob, and mm-hmm. I assume that's payment for this podcast um, <laughs> helping you advertise. So it'll be right there in the left hand corner. Um, but um but I get that. I mean, I, like everybody would want that, right? I'd love the championship belt. There's only one of those. I'm not going to get. Well, there's replicas, but I'm not going to get one of those. But not, I, not I, I think game. about the budget. <laughs> no, not with my, 
Linson. Watch it, Mister. We're going to get into the TV show and talk about playing pre nineteen clubs. You need to go there. I did. I, you know what? I I I almost hit you twice on the green. I was I was accurate with that club. <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, and, and, you know, I, I I somewhat I agree with you, but some I somewhat disagree. There are some people, and and it's the the bane of you know. Some of the people that I meet, I get calls. I got a collection that I'm looking to sell. There are yeah. some people that, if it's got a golf theme, they got to have it, and, and they get yeah. great pleasure out of it. it. Has nothing to do with value. Has nothing to do with anything other than the love of the, the love of the game. I've gotten calls from people. I want to sell my collection, and you get all excited. I've been collecting for 40 years, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And <laughs> come to find out, they got, you know. 12 different salt and pepper shakers with little chubby golfers yeah. or they got 40 years from, of crap. Oh, every, the biggest junk drawer in the world. But you know what? That's important to them. And they got yeah. all the pleasure. And, and it, you, you know, it's a really fine line because I can't dump on what they did because that's what yeah. they love doing. It was important. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no, but, but it's just, but when I, you evaluate I it's, that's where you yeah, have to be honest. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I'll give this you know, to people. I was going to say, so a lot of people come to me with clubs and they say, I have hickory shafted clubs. I'd love mm. to know a value on them. And Bob, you know this, but I, I always start off <laughs> the conversation the exact same way. And I say, they made a lot of a lot more Ford Tauruses than they did Ferraris. That's so right. Before you tell me what you have, I need you to think Ford Taurus. And if we're lucky, you're going to get a we Ferrari. But start with yes. Ford Taurus. That is maybe even a Yugo. Maybe and, a Chevy, you and if you end up with a Chevy, that's not bad either. Yeah, but, right. But you're right. You know, I, I tell people the, the very first thing I tell them because they, everybody thinks they have a hickory shafted club. They just like hit the lottery. Yeah. And yeah. I, I tell them before I even look at anything else, I said, you know, 95 percent of all hickory shafted clubs are five dollar wall hangers yeah. uh, because they, they made these the yeah. millions and millions of these things and they they survived. Um, you know, every, every old person, you know, has them in their basement. Uh, but you do find stuff out there among those $5 clubs. You will, you will uncover thousand dollar clubs very easily. You know, I shouldn't say very easily, but for somebody who wasn't collecting, who may have had something, there could be a good chance that they, they have a valuable club, um, it's just it, it, it. It's always it's like a treasure hunt when you dig through this stuff. Unfortunately, you know you're not always uncovering treasure. Yeah, yeah. Let's jump into this. So let's let me ask you a question. It's a little different. What is the weirdest item you've ever either? Let's go. Been offered to put in your collection, or has been in your auction? Sorry, auction. Uh, something that's been offered to you to go in the auction. That maybe you've turned down, or one that's run in the auction, go there. Oh God, I knew you were going to ask something like this. Weird. <laughs> I mean, I got tons of stories of really cool items. Um, weird items. If you need help, I have one right in front oh, of me yeah. that I'm looking. At. <laughs> okay, uh, throw me a hint. Okay, so I, I told this to Rod earlier. So, you know, I was going through the auction. And I don't, honestly, I don't remember this auction item. Um, you once sold a piece of wood. <laughs> oh, 
you know, for over a thousand dollars. See, walk me through the chia pet. Walk, walk me through this chia pet um, or uh, the rock. You know, the the my pet rock. Walk no, us through no, no. the my pet. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. See, this is this is where you're wrong. Now, see, I, I think know, it's a cool piece, and and I'll relate. A, uh, so this piece of wood, every. Uh, you know, Rod, I don't know if you were familiar when t- the 2000 U.S. Open, mm-hmm. it was Jack Nicholas's last U.S. Open. Yes. And Connor was at the 18th hole. I, I, I don't remember what hole, but he was sitting on a stockade fence, peering yeah. out into the water. It looked like he was reflecting. Very famous picture. It's been all over the place. Well, a gentleman that I know who does a lot of work for a charity, he helps out. Uh, kids with autism and and he writes to a lot of courses to you know see if they can help help out with anything so he he called him and he asked if that fence was ever going to be replaced would he be able to get a piece of it (laughs) so they said you know what you know we have a lots of people we'll take that apart because we we replace these things they get so weather beaten it's right on the ocean so they sent him this i i want to say it started out as like an eight foot piece of Stockade fence, right where Jack sat his butt. So to me, so so this guy, he chopped it up into smaller pieces. He got Jack to sign a few of them, and he consigned one to the auction. I Now, I think you're kind of making fun of this, and I will tell you, I own a piece of that. So I kind of take, <laughs> I, I, I take umbrage of this. There you go. There you go. Are you sitting on it right now, Bob? No. <laughs> I do, you know, I'm not one of those guys who has, like, you open their closet and they have all these candles burning and it has, like, a, you know, I'm not one of those weirdos. That's me. That's me. (laughs) But I know, I know, we we, we might get into you talking to your your, uh, Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones, uh, boss, yes. Yeah, Yeah, do it. I do it all the time. I'm not kidding. I I do it probably every week. I saw your picture. You put a hat on him this week, too, for the Masters. Yeah, So, So I look at that as this is a cool piece. And it, you know, a piece okay, of wood to be specific. A piece of wood. Well, no, folks. this no, was something that I, Bob, he's sitting on. Some, I'm crazy. I, I get it. <laughs> okay, so here's something even crazier, and this is this is something I own. So whoa, 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 whoa. Before I mean, we go there, let's tell everybody what that sold for at auction. So it's about. I'm, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it 15 inches of a plank signed by Jack Nicklaus. It was the 18th hole. It's dated. Uh, 2000 for the U.S. Okay. Open. Okay. Um, I, I'm guessing it looks maybe 18 inches. And so, do you remember what it sold for? I. Uh, you know what? You're the one who's who dug I'm into looking, my past yeah, here. So it's okay. I've sold. You know, <laughs> I, we sold. We sold over 15,000 items in the last 13 years. So yeah. it's really tough for how much? One thousand three hundred sixty-two dollars, Rod. That's, wow. That's cool. Right. And that's yeah. a, that's a lot of children that that helped. Yeah. So, <laughs> I do have a, so I do have a story for you. The weirdest thing, actually, that I have, I didn't auction it. I knew a guy who was a groundskeeper at the old course, and, and actually, Connor, you're kind of you're going to be already jealous. Sold. Of I'll buy it. I'll buy it for me right now. <laughs> you know, you know why? Because you have some of the same stuff here. So don't go making yeah. fun of me. I so he he's he works at the uh, grounds crew at the old course. So. I asked him if he could send me a huge pail of sand from the road hole bunker. Oh yeah. And I have I have at home it's a two liter bottle of soda 
not soda, but a two-liter bottle filled with sand from the road hole. Now, what I did with some of that, I took these little capsules that, you know, coin collectors put silver dollars and stuff in there, and I put sand in it. And then yep. I framed it with a whole bunch of pictures of the hole in the clubhouse. Oh, that's a good idea. And yep. you know something? Back in the day, and this was back in my eBay days, I was selling these framed pieces for like $250 a piece wow. for dirt. Wow. That's what I, what I was saying. <laughs> you know, I, I like taking nothing and turning it into something. I got dirt. I got people to pay $250 for a little dirt. And, you know... Connor's not laughing right now because Connor kind no, of has his he's, own. He's thinking, hang on a minute. I do. No, 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 I do. I'm looking. Collection. I just held mine. Yeah. This one's oh, I never sell it. But they are. His collection yeah. of sand from sand from famous bunkers. Famous bunkers. You're not the only one I've heard of this before. Tell me, Bob, did, did any of those people on eBay, did any of those sales go to T. Nakajima in Japan? I don't believe that. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been uh, You know what? <laughs> Unfortunately, its Japanese market isn't what it used to be. Right. Otherwise, I probably would have no that's sand big. left. <laughs> dear, oh. oh, dear. Um, that's truly bizarre. I love the piece of wood story. That's a really – that's it's funny, isn't it, Bob? But it's actually very interesting. It is so different. It, it, it makes it completely it unique, doesn't it, really? And and we probably started that thing. I mean, if Connor's still got the page up, we probably started it. at a hundred bucks. I don't know. So there there could have been it fifteen started, twenty different. Probably, really cheap. Yeah, it start. Uh, it doesn't say where it started actually. Doesn't have a Sorry. opening bid. So so you know we probably had twelve fifteen people mm. bidding on this. So. I'm not the only weird person out there. No, no. and luckily so. Otherwise, you might have 15 of those at your house. (laughs) I think more than anything, though, I think think that piece basically tells you the story of people who collect these antiquities because that's a very personal piece to the people who have it. There's a story for me, right, if we're going to get to that. So the starting bid was $100, by the way. Sorry, it took me so long. But everything to me, is very personal, and there's a story. Like Everything yes. I have has a story behind it, and there's a great story behind it. I joke because it's a piece of wood, and if, if you are not a golfer or don't know who Jack Nicklaus is, it's the most ridiculous thing that's ever gone to auction. But if you are one of my brethren and you spend $1,300 on that, I'm actually, I joke, I'm just joking with Bob. I kind of, I get it. I get it. I, it's it's, kinda, it's a story. It and you know something? You could, you could, somebody could say, what is that? And you start the story, and the story ends three hours later because now you've told them that that was Jack's last U.S. Open. Yeah. And guess what? His last of every single major. Yeah. That's- guess who won those? Guess who won? Tiger Woods uh, yeah. won Woods. every single one of those. So, you know, your story goes in all different directions. Um, but this is a piece, you know, it's kind of like when I tell people, about autographs and I was a big autograph collector and I've got Babe Ruth's and I've got Bobby Jones and I've got guys all over the place to me. And it may sound weird is even though it wasn't like a Babe Ruth wasn't signed for me or Bobby Jones wasn't signed for me. I feel that I have a little piece of that person's life, a moment in time that I have of that person's life. And that's kind of, I don't know. It's it, it, maybe it's that weird obsession we have with, with celebrity and fame and something like that. But I, I don't know. I just kind of, it just does something for me, mm. but you know, that's part of my weirdness. 
It's a connection, but isn't it? Uh, it's, it's the same reason we watch the golf, and it, and that is being absolutely. and it's being created today, tomorrow, and Saturday and Sunday yeah. at Augusta National this year. There'll be pieces come out of that that'll have some value already, and in fifty years they'll have more, and in a hundred years they'll have more again. It's a it, there's a very real connection to events and to people, and that's that's why people collect stuff. You're exactly right. History is always being made, and, and case in point, here's a story that you know it's it's getting off topic, but it's not. We're we're on topic. Uh, Rory McIlroy wins the British Open in 2015? 14. 14, 14, yeah. Okay. So, very famously, he sinks, he sinks the ball in the 72nd hole, picks it up, and throws it into the crowd. Mm-hmm. So, the first thing we do, Ryan is really good at this. Uh, let's get on social media. So, we put it out there that we will pay $10,000 for this golf ball. And we didn't expect to get it. We didn't want it. We wouldn't have paid $10,000 for it. But guess what? Nick Faldo's talking about it on TV now because we tweeted this thing all over the Twitterverse or yeah. whatever. This. So, so, you know, there's the shameless uh, promotion. So a couple weeks later, one of my customers in the U.K. calls me up and he says, this guy's selling this thing on eBay in the U.K. So I go on eBay. I see the thing is at $300. So I call this guy and I – or I didn't call him. I emailed him. I said – you know, I got an auction that's starting in a week. So the timing was like perfect. I said, you got to give me this for the auction. We'll get you a lot of money for it. He goes, how much? I said, I don't know, but we're going to get you a lot more than you get get on eBay. And he's like, well, somebody bid on it already. I don't feel right. I finally convinced him. He sends it over. I mean, it, it arrived like the day before the auction. So we put this out there. We got pictures of Rory. We got pictures of the guy holding it up who's on TV, on the news, the whole thing. What do you think that ball sells for? Oh, God. I don't know. 300 bucks? <laughs> 300 Well, it went for more, <laughs> went for more than he was going to get on eBay. Yeah. We actually sold that for $52,000. Wow. Oh, oh, wow. $52,000. Oh. Was, that was something that just became historic three weeks earlier. Wow. So when you were saying history is being made all the time, everything's about timing, and and it it, it was just amazing. And the guy who won it, he calls me up, and he goes, any way you can overnight that to me? Like right after the auction, he goes, I'm going to be at a luncheon that Rory's going to be on next Wednesday, and I'd like to give it it to him. What? (laughs) I'm like, yes. Good for him. Well, it, it, I guess. <laughs> so he goes to the luncheon, and he goes to give the ball to Rory, and Rory goes, I saw that thing sell at auction. There is no way I'm going to take that from you. You paid a lot of money for that. Fantastic. Yeah. So he didn't take the ball. That's great. The guy had it for about a year, gives it back to us to sell. It sells for a more reasonable uh, $25,000. Oh, he took a yeah. $25,000 hit, and like he, like he didn't miss a beat. No yeah. big deal. That, now, to, he, he, sorry, he, everything. it is, it is. Here's something, Bob. Does that ball that sold for 25000 a couple of years ago or whatever, if Rory wins this week and creates the career grand slam, does that ball increase in value because it's one of the major championship winning golf balls? It's so hard to say because of the value that it was already, that, that was already paid for it. Mm-hmm. It becomes more significant. It yeah. becomes... Uh, you know, it gets its second light. So it's not an exact science, is it? This valuing thing, is it? It's just not an exact no, no, science. It, it's very, it's very tough. I mean, yeah. we sold the ball um, that Tiger Woods hold in the 2005 Masters. Oh, you're joking! And why did he not keep that? 
I have no idea. But here, here's he the thing that's really us. cool about this. Here, yes, he he doesn't like people making money off. No, of he money. really doesn't. He really yeah. cares about yeah. that stuff. But here's the thing that's kind that's really cool about this. Although we don't have positive uh, ID, I mean, we got we got confirmation from Nike and everything. This is the ball he hold. It's possible, but we couldn't prove it that this was the ball that hung on the hole at 15. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what sold it. That ball sold, I want to say, for around 20, uh, no, 30, about $31,000, I believe. It's got to be the most famous golf ball in the world, doesn't it? Oh, I mean, really? Every, uh, every yeah. week yeah, that so gets replayed you know somewhere. What? You, know how much, you know how much money Nike made off of that with um, that? I mean, he, he, oh. it, he, he couldn't have rolled that thing any more perfect for them. No, no, just um, everything and, about and, that was peak Tiger, wasn't it? That was peak Tiger. You, you can't be more Tiger than that entire scenario, including absolutely, the commercial value. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we got Nike to, to confirm both of those balls when we sold them that they were the balls. Right. Okay. Which, you know, that, that always helps. Obviously, provenance, you know, Connor will tell you, is everything yeah, when you're absolutely. selling it that store. It's got to be what you're yes. saying it is. Yeah. Just just on a by the way, Bob, is it the same ball that he bogeyed 17 and 18 with to fall into a playoff? Or did he change balls after 16? Do we know? That, well, that's why we don't know. Yeah. Um, there, you know, people want to believe it's the same ball, but, I, you know, mm. who knows? Yeah. We do yeah. know it's the one that he pulled out of the 72nd hole. Right. Wow. Fantastic. That's amazing stuff, isn't it? Well, kind of, you, you don't have to be a collector to understand the significance and want to be a part of that. I'd love to sort of touch that guy. They bring the claret jug sometimes to the Australian Open now that it's a qualifying event for the Open Championship. You know, the top three inside the top ten who aren't otherwise qualified get a spot. And so they bring the claret jug or one of the many claret jugs that they have. I'm sure they don't bring the claret jug out to Australia. And it's often at the Golf Riders Dinner, which is usually held on the Saturday night of the Open. And most people go and have their photo taken with it. You can hold it and pick it up. And I never have. I always felt like that was a bit wrong. Just for me personally, I don't judge anybody else who does it, but I kind of don't deserve to touch the jug. Do you see much of that, Bob? Well, I agree that I, I, hear, I agree I you don't deserve it. <laughs> There's no dispute. Hear, Nobody's ever disagreed with that, Connor. We've all agreed I don't deserve it. I hear Connor to breathing fair, real heavy right now when, when you yeah. mentioned the claret jug. That's kind of near and dear to him. And, um, and let's be fair. I mean, he has a restraining order, so he can't touch the <laughs> Well, there you go. He's just being polite. That's really what this is about. I think every any time you have the opportunity to take a picture oh. with a trophy, you do. Now, the exception to that is if you're a professional golfer and you haven't won it, uh-huh. a lot of them don't even yep. want to touch it no. because there's this, oh. you know, this thing about, uh, you know, that's why that's why a lot of guys don't try in the par three contest because nobody's ever won the par three mm. in the Masters in the same year. Yeah. So you don't want to you don't want to be the winner of the par three because you're not going to win the Masters. Um, but yeah, I, you know what? I've had, I've had every major trophy in my hands. Uh, some important ones, uh, you know, one that belonged to Arnold Palmer, David Graham, Al Guyberger, and every single one, I make sure I take my picture and I've got customers that call me and they say, can I come in and take a picture? And <laughs> it's funny because some of my workers, I have a couple of female workers and they, they don't get it. They don't get it. They, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And they, like, you got to be a guy to understand that. <laughs> you know, there's nothing better than, you know, holding the claret jug and giving it a kiss while you're getting your picture taken. I mean, that's, 
Because that's as close as you can yeah, get. That's, as, that's exactly it's as close as we're going to get, yeah. that's for sure. You've raised an interesting question yeah. there, Bob. Are there many women collectors in golf? My guess is not, but is that just a stereotype there? Um, well, is there many? No. I would say our customer base, it, probably 5%, though, which might that, – that's probably a, a, a large amount to some people. Um, we do have, we do have quite a few, not quite a few. I mean, we've got thousands and thousands of customers. So I would say we have a couple hundred mm. anyway. Um, it's not really 5%, is it? Um, but we, yeah, we, we do have some and, and very knowledgeable ones as well. Mm. Yeah, the, the women in golf have an interesting relationship, don't they? The, we just saw the documentary. We didn't see it in Australia, but I know Jeff Shackelford did the documentary on golf channel about the. You know the 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 female influence on Bobby Jones's life in Augusta National and those sorts of things. What about women's yes. golf memorabilia? Is there much of a market in that? You know, for modern day stuff, not so much. Um, there's been auctions with some medals from Alexa Sterling, which was one of the you know the yeah. influences on Bobby Jones, uh, and that stuff that goes for, for some a decent amount of money. And there's interest in that. We've had. We've had Marilyn Smith, uh, who, who recently just had passed away this week. Uh, yeah, we've had right. items. Uh, we've had. Um, uh, You've had Sandra Babe, Hayden. haven't you? Uh, we've had some things yeah, for he, Babe. Yeah. No, no medals or anything like that. We, we had uh, Sandra Haney gave us uh, a few of her uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. Open gold medals. Um, that stuff always sells well. Today is tougher. You know, ten years ago. You had Natalie Gulbis and you had uh, Paula Creamer, and you had a bigger U.S. influence than you have today. It's a lot of Korean players, mm-hmm. and it, it it's tough. The, the The male collectors, you know, they they don't collect some of that stuff. They will collect Babes of Harry's. They will collect Patty Berg and Marilyn Smith, but not really pay a lot of money. Uh, it, it's it's probably a very undervalued uh, collectible, but I I don't see when it's going to have its day it's not i i wouldn't tell somebody go out and buy this stuff because you know what it's going to explode one day and because one day might not be for a long time yeah it could be 100 um, years mm. and, and, and it's a shame because there's some very important figures you know glenna collette and, and babe and and alexa sterling and uh dorothy campbell you know yeah some some absolutely fantastic and and to be honest with you i mean the, the lpga has not been around very long so no. It's not as difficult, but there's a lot less to collect. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I remember uh, Sandra Haney telling me she's she won tournaments where at the end of the tournament there was nothing to pay her. She won tournaments, and they didn't give gold medals all the time. Sometimes they got a medal. Very rarely did they get a trophy. It was all uh, prize money, and a lot of them worked at getting the sponsors to get that money. Yeah. There wasn't a lot, and she would actually win tournaments and go to the next tournament and never got a penny. So, you you know, there's not a lot of that stuff out there. Isn't it remarkable, Bob, because in many ways the birth of the LPGA might be the most extraordinary story in all of sport for all of the reasons you've just outlined. The players themselves built that tour from the ground up and have turned it into something today which is – you know, uh, phenomenal and amazing and global and international, and, and, and they must be incredibly proud. And yet we don't really appreciate it, do we? That, that's a much more interesting well, story than the story of the PGA Tour, isn't it, in a lot of ways? I, I th- I, it is, and I think, to be honest with you, 
the, the people that really missed the boat on that, I think they could have gotten a lot more support from the, from, uh, the PGA of America. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think they could have, they could have at least looked at it from a, a, a point of, you know what, someday we might make some money off of this and they, they should have supported it more, I think. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and unfortunately they didn't. And it was, it was a struggle. I mean, when there's no money in it, it's tough to find athletes that are willing to give their life uh, to, to pursue this. Mm-hmm. What's in it for them? Yeah. You know, there wasn't sponsor money. Um, you know, you look at somebody uh, like Jan Stevenson. She kind of put it on the more on the map in the 70s. You know, I think she posed for Playboy or something like that. And, and they sent her out there. To, to promote the game, uh, you know, that it's uh, a fun, sexy kind of thing. And, you know, they didn't give her a lot in return. They, they you know, she, she, I think she's just getting into the Hall of Fame this year. Yes, that's true. Uh, I mean, lost. The, the yeah. poor woman, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know what her age is right now, but, you know, 10 years ago, she's out there playing tournaments because she was one point shy of what the qualifications yeah. <laughs> are to be a hall of famer. Yet she did more at the request of the LPGA to help them, uh, it, it, as far as travel, as far as commitments to magazines to put that, I, I you know, I think they could have, uh, they could have done a little more justice earlier than this year to, to give her, you know, what she deserves. Agreed. And carried and hit a two-iron. In fact, I'm fairly certain that she had a two-iron second shot to the last hole of the U.S. Women's Open that she won. Uh, you don't see much of that anymore. For that alone, she should go into a Hall of Fame in some ways. Yeah. Connor, drag us back from the uh, the precipice of gender politics, which I somehow managed to, yeah. drag, to, to run us into there. All and right. uh, let's start to perhaps finish up because we, we've really taken a lot of Bob's time yeah. and it's been fantastic, but I don't want to don't oh, pe- wear him out. Yep. Yeah, I've got an interesting question. So, and Bob and I talked a little uh, offline on this. So, you know, as a collector of antiquities, I always hear the horror stories of collections lost to time, right? So it's, whether it's, you know, back in the day with baseball, basketball cards, and mom threw them away in the trash, and there was a Mickey Mantle. Bob's got a story about a house in Oklahoma that I thought he'd share, because when he told me the story i won't do it on air uh but i believe i swore and may have started crying so with that lead bob take us off to this amazingly sad and triumphant story well let me preface it by saying although there's parts of uh, uh, sadness of it, it there's some very great parts of it as well absolutely um, i i get a call from a woman this is probably five six years ago um she lives in Oklahoma, and her husband and and uh, and she uh, buy houses and refurb them. And in areas of Oklahoma, not that expensive. So they purchase this house for forty five thousand dollars, and she finds a whole bunch of boxes of golf stuff in it, photographs and well, a bunch of different things. And she calls me up. And she goes, "You know, I saw in your auction that you were selling a nineteen thirty four reprint of the Masters program." And I said, yeah, we, you know, we, we get those from time to time and they sell for about $200 and she, she was excited. She, you know, she found a $200 program in a box. Well, she sends me a picture and it turns out, I said, this is a real program. This is not a reprint. <laughs> so she, are you kidding me? What's it worth? And I said, well, 
I think at the time we had sold a few for around $10,000. Wow. And she goes, oh, my gosh. So she goes, I have a bunch of other stuff. I got photographs. She said, the house used to belong to this guy. His name was Perry Maxwell. Oh, you're joking. I no. know. It gets it, worse. It, it gets worse. No. It gets <laughs> so, no. I'm going to go on mute so I don't cry again. <laughs> so she's got boxes of stuff. And... Uh, I said, send it. I said, this is all great stuff. Uh, so she sends all this stuff, and I go through it, and, and I'm expecting to find certain things that I don't see. So I call her back up, and I said, is there anything else? She said, there was stuff. We threw a bunch out. No, they didn't. I Wait said, what did it. you throw up? She said, well, there was a bunch of like rolled up blueprints, oh, oh, and we threw those out. Now, you know, oh. for people out there who might not know who Perry Maxwell was, well, he was actually, he was involved in early Augusta. Augusta, National, where uh, he did a bunch of the Greens, yeah. Pine Valley. He yeah. did uh, uh, Southern oh. Hills. He did yeah. Prairie uh, Dunes. Prairie yeah, Dunes. Yeah. I mean, some of the most, uh, he, he, unbelievable design when you say threw out bob do you mean like in a rubbish bin that went off to landfill somewhere absolutely absolutely oh i'm crying now too so right so we'll get more to the happy stuff so she sends me all this stuff and uh you know perry maxwell's first design was actually a a farm that he bought um called dornick hills he created a nine-hole golf course and this was his first foray he was a banker by trade and in this, these boxes of stuff, there were photographs of guys standing with oxen and plows, you know, making prairie dunes, like digging out the fairways and doing, I mean, unbelievable stuff, including all these aerial photographs of Dornick Hills. And so I, I kind of hooked up with this guy who actually wrote a, a biography on Perry Maxwell. And I showed him these folders, and he's like, oh, my God. You know, some people get really excited over certain things. These were photos that I was like, okay, it's kind of cool. This guy just went nuts. He said, this proves my point. I go, what do you mean? He goes, "Uh," and I I can't recall the holes. He said, this proves that, you know, hole seven and hole 11 shared a green, and nobody believed me. And this is video, this is, you know, photographic proof of, of all this stuff. And he said, you know where those photos probably came from? He said, I believe these are the earliest aerial photographs of any golf course ever. This was like 1928, 29, somewhere in that neighborhood. And he said, Perry Maxwell was great friends with Widely Post and Will Rogers. And more than likely, he was up in an airplane or, or Will Rogers was up with Wiley Post and, and photographed these out of his plane. And, you know, famously, both Will Rogers and Wiley Post died in a plane crash, I believe, in, in Alaska. Um, uh, so, you know, all this stuff was in this box. There was, which I still own, there was uh, his high school valedictorian speech. There was a, a land grant when he purchased it uh, and it's signed by him and two chiefs from like the Chippewa tribe or something like that, giving them lifetime rights to use the rivers and everything that go through the property. And, you know, just very, 
important historic, early historic uh, from Perry Maxwell. Tons and tons of autographs and things like that. Well, I think I sent her a check in the neighborhood of around $54,000. She paid $45,000 for the house. house. Wow. You know, this stuff that if she hadn't called when she saw this program thinking it was a $200 program, probably all of that stuff would have gone in a dump. And all these photographs now, who bought the who bought the photographs from uh, Pine Valley? Those seven holes. Well, Pine Valley bought them, and who bought them yeah. from Southern Hills or Prairie Dunes? Yeah, they bought them. So yeah. all this stuff is right where it should be, where it belongs. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and well. and that I get a lot of pleasure out of that. I I, I have you know great relationships with Baltusrol and with Oakland Hills and and some and they're trying to recapture a lot of their history and they come to me. You know, I've got want lists from all these places, but they they scour my auctions, too, because whenever we have something, they're on it because a lot of this stuff is just it's been tossed over the years. People don't realize what they're today, what's important, what's going to be important 50 years from now or 100 years from now. And now they're just starting to not just starting to realize, but they realize that, you know what, the Internet has helped them really, you know, get some of this stuff yeah, back and, and that's that's i i love doing things like that i love when the usga you know buy they bid in my auction and they buy a, a a set of clubs that belong to eisenhower that were found in a barn in augusta georgia with yeah. you know oh uh, i mean the stories of some of these finds that stuff is out there and that's that you know when when connor talked about the chase Sometimes the stuff finds you uh-huh. and there are basements and there are attics where this stuff yeah. is found every single day, important stuff. And you, know, you, you never give up. I mean, I found things on a whim. I, I go to Craigslist and I search ads for, you know, things. And, you know, I've, I've had some absolutely fantastic finds that um, if you don't do your work, you're, you know, the stuff is just, could end up in the garbage. Extraordinary. Not at the risk of going down another I, I, rabbit hole. Sorry, Bob. Do we know why Perry Maxwell's former house was just sold off to a couple of flippers? Did he not have family? Or well, I, I, if I were to guess, I would say that Perry Maxwell wasn't the last owner of that house. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe this stuff. You know, I bought a bunch of stuff uh, up in Oregon from um, Chandler Egan's, not his his family. When Chandler Egan passed away, his wife had the house, and when she sold it, she sold it with everything in it. The paintings oh. on the wall, the rugs on the floor. Oh, wow. And the family that bought it, it was a doctor who had, I believe they were twin girls, uh, and he was married. When, when the doctor died, these twin girls, now in their set, late 70s, uh, decided to sell the house, and they hired a, an estate company to come and sell everything, including everything that was originally there 50, 60 years prior from Chandler Egan. It was still in this house. And I kind of I got some unbelievable stuff. I mean, Chandler Egan, in case everybody doesn't know, uh, 1904, 1905 U.S. amateur, uh, second place in the 1904 Olympics, um, which is kind of, uh, you know, uh, where yeah. where he he got his name? Absolutely fantastic amateur golfer, and in this house was 
old golf balls with important scores written on it, trophies, wow. um, just amazing things that were just just left behind. That stuff didn't have value. You know, when you were playing golf back then, and he was an amateur, he wasn't making money at it, uh, it, it was a trophy. You know, if this stuff didn't get melted down in the, you know, during the Depression uh, or years later, it, it's just a trophy. You know, these guys... You know, I've heard more than one famous golfer say, you know, you can't eat a trophy. You know, uh, I need that yeah. check. So some of this stuff didn't mean much to people. And, and people finding it later, you know, they just think it's just a, a trophy. It's like yeah. no big deal. Pressure. That's why you, you do all that yeah. homework. So, yeah, so I was able to acquire a bunch of stuff from, from that estate and not coming from the family. So, you know, this stuff... It stays out there. It doesn't mean it was, you know, from the family. It just, it wasn't important. It wasn't even important enough for the previous owners to throw it out. Wow. <laughs> it's mind-boggling, isn't it? It's, it's You know, Rod, there's so much of that. Yeah, of course. I, mean, I, of I course. was, last year, I was uh, meeting with one of a, let's call it a top 10 golf club, country club in the United States. And in, when I was sitting down with uh, one of their historians, they mentioned that I think it was in the last two years they had discovered the original routing plan from their architect that was signed. And it was sitting in a random house in a safe. And wow. after over 100 years, it, came, it found its way back to the club. Wow. And this stuff is just there's Sick. so many little things that are out there yet to be discovered. Ah. It's really mind-boggling. Is. Yeah, I mean, if I could just tell, uh, I'll try to make it a short story because I know we're yeah, talking forever. Please. I just love it. I could talk for another ten hours. Um, you know, one of the things I do is I, I get on like Craigslist and I I, I I check out areas of the country that I'm not in that used to be big hubs for golf. Portland, Oregon, sure. you know, 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, very big, even even before that. So. I go into like this sporting goods section and I see some guy, uh, he's selling a dozen old golf balls. That's kind of like how it was, you know, written up. The guy didn't know what he had. So I call him up or I, I text him and or email him and he's, yeah, I got a, uh, a dozen golf balls. It's, it's in a box and it says Varden Flyer on it. Oh, you joke. So, so, so I'm like, okay. <laughs> so send me a picture. So he sends me this picture of, now, these balls are from, like, 1899, 1900. 1900, you know, Harry Varden came over to this country, and he was promoting this ball. And the box is open, and there's 12 pearly, white, gorgeous golf balls with anywhere from 98 to 100% of the paint on these balls. And I was just, like, I was, got, uh, you know, just gobsmacked. And, and so... I knew Varden Flyers like on everybody's want list, and you never find them in that condition, not even close. So ones that, you know, if you were to say, you know, one out of ten, you know, you, you see one that's graded a, a six or a seven, they've only sold for seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars but you, you could sell them. You got them, you can easily sell them because people want them. So I kind of had a guess. I, I, I said, you know, I, I think they're probably worth maybe $1,000 a piece. The guy was what? What are you? What are you talking about? I said, "Well, how much did you want?" He said, "I was going to sell them for like two hundred dollars for the box." And I said, "Well, you know, did, where did you get them?" He said, "Well, they were my uncle's." I said, "Well, d is there anything else he collected?" He goes, "No, he wasn't a collector. He, 
used them. This, you know, he, he was because uh, I'm talking to a guy who's in his 80s. So I said, I honestly think they're probably worth a thousand dollars a piece. So I offered him seventy five hundred dollars, and which he took, and. Then I immediately got buyer's remorse. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going to happen if I, you know, I can't sell these things? Because <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of money to lay out. Just It's a risk, isn't it? Yeah, it's a real punt. It, yeah. it, it is. But So I'm showing them to people, and I'm feeling more and more confident. I, one guy says, God, they got, they got to be like 3000 a piece. So I'm looking at three, three times starting at $36,000. I'm like, oh, man, I, I can only hope that they could they could sell for that much. So I get them, and I have them for a while, and I decide you know, that the biggest decision – do I split these things up or do I keep this as a whole box? And, you know, I, I, I wanted one of these balls for myself. So I, I, I got to split them up because I, I want one myself. So I put one in my auction, one ball, the very first auction, and it sells for $6,700. And I'm like, oh, my God. And, um, you know, so then I've sold a couple privately to people for – four thousand forty five hundred dollars and i i think i still have four or five of them left um if you're listening bill williams if you're listening bill he's got four or five left (laughs) (laughs) there you go anybody uh and and you know so that stuff is still out there i mean this these balls are from 1900 you know vard made a famous trip to the united states in 1900 and you know uh all around the east coast and midwest and and he was loaded with these. That was his job. Part of his tour was to promote these golf balls, mm-hmm. um, and you know he, he'd sell them out of his trunk. Yep. Uh, so this is you know this stuff is still out there. So for anybody who who thinks that they have to always spend a ton of money or that they'll never find anything hidden, any hidden gems, it's out there. You know this woman proved it by finding a, 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 a an old program in a box. Um, you know, this guy with the golf balls and there's, there's a million stories like that out there. Extraordinary stories on that. It's out there and the, and the internet has helped Yes, because, you know, there was common belief when I first started doing the auctions, you know, 1934 master's program, there's like, there's like six of those known, uh, 1935, 1935, they thought there was maybe three of those known. There was less of 35 than 34. Well, I think since we've started, we've probably sold a dozen 1934s and probably five or six 1935s because yeah. when, when we sell something, all of a sudden somebody's writing about it. Somebody goes to their attic and goes to their old you know, magazines and finds one or yeah. somebody finds one and they go on the internet and they say 1934 Masters and they, they see us and they come to us. So the internet has been mm. uh, you know, a boon. I, you know, our auction isn't live. It's an internet auction. If the internet wasn't around, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. Mm. It's interesting itself, isn't it? That the, the latest technology and what it's done for history, just the existence of this podcast, as I was saying to Connor earlier when I sort of brought him in, it's been fascinating to see how people have gathered around what Connor's done with the Facebook page and the Twitter account and this podcast is that the interest in history in the past has been well and truly fueled by this amazing technology of the present. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Without yeah. it, there'd be... Well, absolutely. And, and you, you reach, you know, you're not reaching out to the, just the people in your community. You're reaching around the world. And, you know, you know Connor's got friends in every single country that he, he's never met. You, you just, uh, uh, you know, you, you build a network that's just unbelievable. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Really fascinating. Speaking of countries, how broadly do you sell? I imagine you've got some people in Australia who buy 
various bits and pieces from you. We've got a fairly strong golf culture here. Where are the big markets that Green Jacket well, Auction sells uh, in? The, the U.S. is is our biggest customer. Sure. Um, we keep we kind of keep track of that, and I think the last thing we put out there, I think we have fifty four different countries that we've sold to. Okay. Um, and I will, you know, you might be happy to learn that Arnold Palmer's one of his Masters trophies is in Australia. Oh wow, fantastic. Oh, wow. The putter, the putter he used uh, to win the fi- nineteen, I want to say fifty-eight. I don't think it was. I think it was nineteen sixty-four Masters is in Australia. Uh, it, it's funny because it came from Australia. Arnold Palmer donated that to a local club as a tournament prize. They wanted an Arnold Palmer trophy oh, to award wow. to somebody. He had sent it to some small club in Australia with a letter saying, "I, I hope this meets your needs." This served me very well to not only win in 1964, but many other tournaments as well. So they they would give this to the winner every year and pass it along. Well, they needed money for the club, and they sent it to us, and I believe we got $97,000 wow. for it. So it came from Australia, and then someone from Australia won it and didn't give it back to the club. They're two totally unrelated people, but it, it's... It's still in Australia, so you, we do have uh, we have customers in Australia. Obviously, we have a lot in in the UK, the Scotland, UK, yeah. England, Ireland. Um, I've got customers, uh, just you know, um, Malaysia, uh, China, Korea is oh, sure. very very big. Um, people get hooked, don't they, Bob? People and Connor's probably a great yeah. example. Come to the game late in life and almost feel like they're playing catch up and throw themselves into it with an enthusiasm that's uh, that's extraordinary. And so, in yeah. those places where golf hasn't had a particularly strong culture, if you find people that are like that, and in, in Asia's got a lot of very wealthy people, then they're exactly the sort of people you would expect to be buying big ticket items from. Abs- absolutely, and and one of our big customers in Korea, they're they're actually amassing a museum, um, and and they. You know, they really, really embrace uh, golf. And, and, you know, it's evident by, you know, the LPGA is, is loaded. If your last name is, is not Lee or uh, Kim, you know, you, you know they, they, there's probably 40 of those on tour. A lot of South Koreans. And, and now they're starting to embrace their history. Uh, and, and they're starting to collect their history because it's... Every day that goes by, it gets it gets harder and harder if you can't find this stuff. So, uh, yes, we are we are global, um, and it's a great thing because you know, so many people of different backgrounds, different cultures, we all share the same thing. We're all passionate about the same thing, which is that's kind of cool. Yeah, fantastic. You just reminded me that it's totally unrelated, but. KJ Choi was asked, I think it was about 10 years ago, and he was playing really well on the PGA Tour. Did he follow the old PGA? We were starting to see a lot of South Korean women doing really well on the old PGA. And he was asked, you know, do you, do you follow it? And he said, oh, I can't keep up. Too many Parks and Kims. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a, which I thought was a lovely line. You got a terrific sense of humor, KJ Choi. Uh, there you go. Sorry, Connor, I was going to hand it over to you, and I just kept on butting in there. Um, you had some other stuff, I'm sure, that you wanted to, to, to run by Bob, and we are running out of time, so we need to do it quickly. Yeah, we are out of time. I was actually going to actually sum it up a little bit in saying that I, I would highly recommend you need to go to Green Jacket Auctions, mm-hmm. um, and, and for two reasons. One, there's a beautiful auction going on right now, but if you have any interest in history or just a, a, an opportunity to see what's gone through this auction, including Tiger Woods's um, 
Grand Slam irons, 2000, 2001, sold in the auction. We have Ben Hogan's irons from 1953. Right now on the auction is a permanent master's trophy. Uh, there's a backup putter for Tiger Woods from his 2000 year. Um, but to go full circle for you, Rod, there is a 1961-1962 set of Ping 69s. Only 100 sets ever made. We just did the, uh, the interview with Ping, the Ping historian. And here's that very iron on the, uh, on the auction house right now. Current bid is $1,948. Wow, for so, a set. Let me, tell, let, me tell, let me tell you something about these irons that make it even yeah, more special. Do. You know, there was only 100 of these sets made. And they were made with a bent shaft. The bent shaft uh, under the grip. Yeah, we, we talked has, about it, that. Yeah, it had it had a forward press, and pretty soon after these were introduced, the USDA said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, these are not conforming." So what Ping did was, all the people who bought them, they said, "Send them in. We'll replace your shafts, no charge." The set, the, the the set that we have have the original bent shafts. Looking at them. So at a hundred that existed, how many do you think? exist with the original bent shafts i would say less than a handful I would so, say so this too. is something that is extremely important you know not only is it his first uh venture into i mean if it wasn't for karsten and his permit or waiting we i mean yeah. all the technology that's gone on over those last 50 years start right there yeah. everything start is still perimeter the weighted yeah. from the putter it's, to the yeah, yeah absolutely ah, absolutely Nothing's been reinvented. No. Everything, you know, comes right from there. And this is, this is, you know, this is made in his garage. This is, you know, true Karsten. And it has right. the bent shafts in it. That's what you. It has. It has, has that. Yeah, you can look at it, Rod. You need to go to the web. I, I think do. Everybody does. And, yeah. and this is the beauty of their website. To be honest with you, is you can look through every auction item that's ever gone through. Ah, right. From so, both the past. For instance, well. if. If I have a 1934 Augusta National Invitational program, I can literally search that and find out the last, you know, he mentioned like a dozen of them have sold. I can look at how much they sold through right. for over the years. Right. Or, for instance, I, I like to look at it because think of it as um, there's two ways to look at it. I look at it two ways. So I look at it as the current auction. What am I interested in? Am I willing to pay X to get it? Am I going to bid? And then the second part, as, as a historian or someone who loves history, it's kind of like a mobile museum. You can literally go in and see history on this website and get an idea yeah. for not only what it sold for, but the story behind it. Absolutely. Very, very tried, and, and, like I said, in, in 13 years, I believe we're over 15,000 lots. So a lot of stuff is, has moved through our hands. And, you know, it, it, it's such a pleasure holding all this stuff. And I will tell anybody, if you're thinking about getting into this, you know what? You could just go on our website and just be a spectator, uh, yeah. see how the process works. And you know what? When you call, when you call the number there, you, you end up speaking with me. You're not going to get a, you know, you're not going to talk to somebody and get a recording or anything. Anytime somebody is calls there, me is, up. Is and, there an option not to get <laughs> It costs more. Yes. That's the premium you know line. You can send an email. You can send an email, but I, I tell you what, and my customers uh, will tell you that uh, you know I, I keep really weird hours. I've had you know people email me at one o'clock in the morning, and within three minutes they get a response, and they're like, "Dude, what, yeah. what, don't don't you have a life?" And you know this is part of my life. This is part of me. You know, um, 
I absolutely love this. You know, I could be digging ditches. There are so many worse things that I can be doing than this. This, I have such a passion. I absolutely love what I do. And, you know, if I, I'll get on the phone with somebody for a half hour and, and talk to them about what their passion is and try to guide them and help them along. You know, people will say, geez, I found this thing. Is, is this authentic? And, you know, I engage with them I, I, because I enjoy this so much that, I, you know, part of my thing is I like helping people out um, because, you know, a guy who's spending $50 today might be spending $5,000 tomorrow. Yeah. So I, I got to treat everybody the same. And, you know, um, I think when, you know, I, I think you can tell by, you know, <laughs> the way I talk that I'm extremely passionate about this and I kind of like to get other people excited about it as well because there's a lot a, a lot worse things you could be doing than collecting golf fighters. I mean this this is just it's it's just a cool thing you know uh, let me just jump in I know we're gonna I know we're gonna end here soon but I just wanted to I, I was just doing a little research as we were all talking through this so just going through the current auction there are some amazing you know, I, I would call them steals of deals. Henry Cotton letter from the prime minister's office about Russian golf is currently at $25. Um, there is a signed Ray Floyd golf ball at $25. I mean, there's some things in here for, for everybody. I mean, if Absolutely. you, you, know, you want to go to dinner tonight, you're going to spend more than that. A master's telephone. I've never even heard of that. $25. I mean, it's just, I, I think it's fun to see that this isn't, I, I think when I think of auctions, uh, you know, I am one that's always looking at the top end stuff. I can't always afford it, but I'm always that top to middle end. But it's also great to go through here and just oh, see absolutely. some of these steals. And because because auctions can be extremely intimidating. Everybody's seen, you know, whatever yeah. TV show where some guy's scratching his head and all of a sudden he just bought a uh, $25,000 painting. It's not like that. And, and somebody could call me up and ask me a question about a, an item we have for $25 or $25,000. And, and we'll be, we want to make this as painless for you as possible. It's, it, you know, we want to bring out that passion to you. So we want to make it pleasurable for you. And, and it certainly can be, I mean, it, it's, it, it, you shouldn't be intimidated. Um, it, you should have fun with this. Cause that's what this is. It's fun. Another thing for the people out there is I think, I, I, Bob, I, I'm going to throw this out there. If not, I'll do it for him. But if you're thinking about getting into it and you're looking for a good deal on the item, I, I'm sure Bob would take your phone call or email to say, Bob, I'm getting into this. What's a really good deal out here? What should I bid on that is a really good? Like I'm looking at just flipping through and I see this golfer's pal wrist wristwatch scorer. Um, yeah. um, it's $25. I mean, I, again, that's a very eclectic piece, but it's so unique. I it's do $25. I do get that. I do have one customer that that is his, his MO and, you know, kind of, I, I expect it now. He'll give me a, he'll give me a, a, an email every Friday. Like tomorrow I'll get an email from this guy and he'll say, what do you think is the best deals out there right now? And it doesn't matter if it's, I, he's not buying $25,000 things, but this guy would love to be able to spend $500 on something that's worth twelve hundred dollars, mm -hmm. or get something yeah. for a hundred dollars that's that's really worth four hundred dollars. But he's using me to kind of tell him, you know, what's the best deals out there. So um, that's what he does. And 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 maybe I I don't know what his full collection consists of, but you know maybe that's going to pay off when he decides to 
you know, his end game is to sell it or whatever, that he's, he, he bought all sleepers and got good deals on everything. But yeah, you know, give me a call. I'll ask, you know, try to answer any questions you have and, you know, get you on the path to this because the only thing that could be better for this, this hobby or this business is to have more people involved in it. <clears throat> yep, absolutely. Connor, I think, well, we're not exhausted, but I think we should probably just about pull the pin. Was there anything finally that you needed to ask uh, Bob, or can we wrap it up now? And we can go forever, but yeah, I think we hit a lot of the big points. Um, I think, again, when you look at the auction, and a lot of times, listen, I get focused on my stuff, but it should also be noted on the auction item that they're not all ancient items. There's things like Scotty Cameron's and Scotty uh, Cameron head covers, if that's your thing. Yeah. On there, so I, you know, I get stuck in my own little realm of ancient and expensive, but uh, there's a little bit of something for everybody on there. It's been a great, and and I tell you, your website again is a treasure trove of, uh, I'd call it a mobile um, social media museum. It's really fascinating to see how you've grown. Done a great job, Bob. Well, you know, customers like you. I mean, we that obviously we couldn't do it without. Uh, customers like you and the better items we sell then we get great consignments i mean it kind of feeds upon itself mm. and you know the most important thing to ryan and i is to run this with integrity um and and you know be fair with everybody um because that that gets higher prices higher prices mean more people come to us with better items and it just kind of you know goes full circle you, you're not going to you're not going to get great items if you're not getting great prices. You're not going to get great prices unless you treat your customers well and, and you, you know, give them honest descriptions and you deal fairly with them. And, you know, um, I, I, again, I'm blessed that I'm able to do this, that I'm able to make a living at it. And, uh, you know, I owe everything, you know, to my partner and, and our customers. I'm expecting that claret jug. Yeah, <laughs> at a discount price. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you might want to practice your party. Yeah, don't don't hold your breath. Is, would yeah. would be my tip. Connor, been fantastic to have you along as always, and thank you for uh, for lining up the time to to chat with Bob. It's been brilliant. Appreciate you coming along and being part of the journey. My pleasure. I this has been one of uh, this is a favorite for me, just because I think you know when we're doing the Talking Golf History podcast, it's. This is obviously very modern because this is an auction going on right now. But I, I, I think the idea behind it was to show you that history exists in so many different facets and forms. Yep. And this is just one way that people share it. Yep. You can own little pieces of it, which is, which is fabulous. Isn't yeah. It? And, and, you know, you, you have a great uh, format here. You know, I've done, I've done hundred, hundreds of interviews. Uh, you know, I, we have a TV show all sorts of stuff, but you know what? This free exchange of ideas and, you know, off-the-cuff things, that's kind of where, you know, what I really like because we can go in a thousand different directions. And when we do that, I can see the passion in both of you. Uh, and I'm sure you can see it in me um, that, it, you know, it, it's not, you know, you ask a question and you give, a you know, just a, a, a regular, normal response. This is... You know, let it go where it goes, and and uh, you know, it's uh, it was actually a enjoyable you know uh, discussion. I'm glad to hear it, Bob, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but every time I think of your name, I'm never going to think of regular and normal, and I think that you'll take that as the compliment that it's intended as. Well, uh, it- 
it wouldn't be the first time I heard it. <laughs> I'm sure you've been called worse by better. I don't think there'd be any doubt about that. Bob, it's been fantastic to meet you. I really enjoyed chatting today, and uh, I'll, I'll go and have a look at the Green Jacket auctions. I'm not sure if there's a collector in me, but uh, I'll certainly go and have a look because it sounds like, apart from anything else, if you're interested in golf, just fantastic to have a look. I did have a quick look. I saw the Masters thing, and I saw the Tiger Woods backup putter. There's some amazing stuff out there. So, amazing. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Thank you for uh, taking some time today. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. I'd love to do this again. Well, you've just booked yourself a time, buddy boy, so don't you renege on that because it's going to happen, I can assure you. That is Episode 7 of the Talking Golf History Podcast in the books. It's now a part of history itself, and isn't that just a little bit ironic and interesting? Uh, We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking. We will be back to do it all again in a couple of weeks' time. I won't tell you who the guest is, but Connor is all over it already. Uh, Look forward to your company then on the Talking Golf History Podcast. (laughs) 